0: Today's episode of Beyond the Rut is sponsored by Capshow, which is the ultimate AI content marketer for entrepreneurs who podcast, vlog, or live stream like yours truly. Stay tuned throughout this episode to discover more ways you can use Capshow for your content. For now, let's get straight into the episode. If you feel like your marriage is in a rut, then this is the episode for you. Welcome to Beyond the Rut, the weekly podcast about inspiring and equipping you to make your own path and live the life you've always dreamed of beyond the rut. I'm one of your hosts, Cherry. And in just a moment, Brandon is going to join us as we have a conversation with Mike Bullock. Mike Bullock is a pastor, author, and just a swell guy. And he's sharing with us the missing ingredient that many couples have in their marriage relationships. When you have this missing ingredient included in your relationships, you're going to see things thrive, maybe even have a happy marriage life. So sit back and relax unless you're driving. In that case, we need to stay safe as we talk about that missing ingredient in relationships. Here we go. All right, Brandon, welcome back to your own show. All right. And we have a special guest calling in from all the way on the other side of the South Patra Island Drive. Mike Bullock, how are you doing?
1: I am doing well.
0: Fantastic! So we have you on the show, but we didn't tell you why. Um, well, actually, I think we did. We <laughs> said we wanted to have a conversation about um yes, you, as well as a new book that you just published recently called "The Missing Ingredient: Home Cooked Relationships in a Fast Food World." And uh, I just discovered, even though I read the book, um I'm <laughs> I'm one of the reviews in the front. I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> so thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you for a review. Yeah. <laughs> uh, good thing you wrote a good one yep is it good i I didn't read that part so it's pretty good you mentioned the show so you know okay (laughs) well i had to plug the show so that's shameless
2: plug you're right next to Alyssa hope i can be hanging with my
0: family and i'll be plugging the show to my family and they just roll their eyes like i know dad you're on a podcast you've been on there for three years (laughs) you edit it every weekend okay so anyway that's that's not why we have mike on here to hear me talk about how my family doesn't like our show but um again hello mike (laughs) do you guys really need me? I'll just step aside. Uh, I'm just going to leave this in. I'm not even going to edit this out. He's watching Netflix. Uh, He's like, I'm over this. (laughs) He's like, I'm just going to flip through my phone until these guys start talking to me. Uh, All right. So we do love to kick off all of our our discussions and conversations um, with a little icebreaker. And and again, this is just a very laid back feel. It's kind of like we're in a coffee shop. And you got some computer work going on in the background. And, uh, we're just some friends having conversation with each other. And our audience are like the folks at the tables around us listening in on the conversation. Mm-hmm. Now, all of you listening, we normally tell Mike this before we start recording, but like right now, I'm hyper, no filter. Who knows what I'm going to say on this show? Hmm. It'll be G rated though. Yeah. <laughs> PG. At least PG. No swearing. I won't have to bleep myself. Let's Let's talk about Bulgaria. Bulgaria. No. (laughs) um, But anyway, Mike, (laughs) uh, I discovered this morning uh, you've also been doing the keto diet Mm. uh, longer than me. He's lost, I think, 30 pounds. Uh, So let's say you are stuck on a deserted island. And you can have only one keto-friendly food on that island with you. And let's say it just magically replenishes itself like <laughs> like manna. Um, so it's God-given. Uh, what would you want that one keto-friendly food to be and why?
1: My wife makes this amazing keto lasagna. Mm. And it is almost as good as my family lasagna recipe. And that's how I got fat in the first place was eating lasagna.
2: So. <laughs> oh, man. That's cool.
1: Yeah. I I used to think Garfield was my spirit animal.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He's not? I can do some lasagna. (laughs) Uh, So that's actually a pretty good one. So you didn't just go with, like, an ingredient. You went with, like, the whole dish. Yeah. See, his wife will show up, like, once a week with the dish. So then he gets the best of both worlds. Well played, good sir. (laughs) He played the game. (laughs) Uh, Now, I'm just curious because... You know, a big thing about keto is that it's it's almost carb free. It's very little, like what they say, five grams, no, 20 grams or less. So 5% of your calories or less are carbs. And if I remember correctly, because I love lasagna myself, um, that thing comes with layers and layers and layers of noodles filled with layers and layers of heaven on earth. Have you already had dinner? Or? I did. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm full right now, so I can get away with doing this. I uh, uh, had a nice sirloin steak and some veggies. Hey. Veggies, you you'd be surprised. Hey. I had veggies. Uh, anyway, I'm trying to ask Mike a question here, so. <laughs> um, so I was just curious. What do you use for noodles in a keto-friendly lasagna?
1: That is a secret. Oh, we're going to have so to. So have she, his wife she won't on next tell anybody <laughs> until they try it to see their reaction. And then she tells you,
0: Oh man. See, now I regret we didn't do this interview at your house. Yeah, we're, We'll head <laughs> yeah. over there tomorrow. Cause you're, you're like right <laughs> down the street, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, kind of an interesting thing. So I was just asking you, what was that ingredient there? And then you wrote a book, the missing ingredient. And I, l- I especially love the opening story where you're, you're telling us about um, how you were baking a cake for Angie. Um, because that was one of her favorite things growing up. She hadn't had somebody make it for her in a while. It was her, her grandma, if I remember correctly, right? Uh,
1: It was her grandmother's recipe and then her mom would make it every year for her birthday. Um. And then her mom tragically passed away when Angie was 21. By the time we got together, it had been years since anybody had made this cake for her on her birthday. So I figured I'm going to be super husband and I'm going to try and fail.
0: <laughs> Always good. <laughs> so what what turned out to be the problem when um, she took that first bite and then spit it out?
1: Uh, she actually didn't spit it out. Oh. To me much much you know that she, <laughs> she's a strong woman. So, but uh, I had put the whole cake together and failed to put sugar in it. <laughs>
0: Hmm. Which seems to be a key ingredient in desserts, right? Apparently.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the funny thing is that, that this this cake has had been part of a catastrophe at least three or four other times. <laughs> one of the times I put in baking soda instead of baking powder, I oh, believe. Oh, yeah. Which keeps it from rising and makes it taste very strange. And then another time I had handed it off to one of her girlfriends to make for her. And somehow or other part of the steps in the recipe got lost and they basically it's a three-layer cake and they baked all three layers together and it came out like a giant hard brownie so <laughs> hey. it's uh there's been multiple times where we we've, we've made this cake and it's just not turned out right so it's kind of funny
0: man that it makes awesome. makes it all the more special when you get it right
1: <laughs> yeah well every time she makes it she gets it right oh, okay. you know I mean, and if anybody in her family makes it, they get it right. It's when somebody else outside the family attempts it that it's just you it's, know.
2: It's a family recipe. No fam, non-family members are able to make yeah. it. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Well, it's
0: like when my mom cooks. She, my mom's from Thailand, and uh, she makes some great food. It, and then she'll say all right here here's the recipe and she gives me the recipe and it comes out nothing like what she said and then i'll say all right show me i'm gonna watch you do this but i've got the recipe there she doesn't follow it at all like none of the ingredients are the same (laughs) yeah like she measures nothing and i'm like wait you're all exact yeah yeah, this called for like green curry use red curry paste and bean curd and you did this and i'm talking stir fry now but anyway
2: (laughs) so mike how did what was the inspiration for this book what made you decide you wanted to write a book, and what made you think you could write a book?
1: Well, this is actually somewhere in the range of a 100 books that I've written. So the feeling that I could write it came way back when I was a little kid. I uh, was raised with my two cousins and brother, and the three of them can all draw, and I think I was four, and they were drawing, and I could, I cannot draw to save my life. Like, I, I brutalized stick figures. And I went to my aunt, and I was like, Hey, you know, they're leaving me out. They're all drawing. They won't do anything with me. I feel left out. And her response was, Well, a picture's worth a thousand words if you can't draw the picture you better learn to write the thousand words and in reality she just said that to get me out of her hair and you know (laughs) get me to go back to find something else to do but i took her serious and i went in the next room and i wrote exactly one thousand word story i brought it back to her and she was really stunned and she was like wow you could be a writer someday and it just stuck
0: cool yeah before this book i mean you have been involved with and have authored uh, many graphic novels probably should have briefed you up on that one, Brandon. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> and uh, I believe you were a ghostwriter as well. Yes, sir. Yeah. So this isn't, yeah, like this I've, I've
1: ghost written, I don't know, over a dozen novels. I have written under my own name, a handful of others for different clients that actually dream up the story. And then I just kind of put it together and they let me put my name on it after writing it all out for them. And then I have a whole bunch of my own original material and I've written a lot of pulp fiction I wrote the Phantom comic books and graphic novels for years. Uh, I have a bunch of my own original content.
2: So is it weird to work with Ghost uh, as far as like co-writing that kind of stuff? How does that work?
0: (laughs) Killing me, Smalls. (laughs) Killing me. Drink some water. Somebody (laughs) had to do it. Come
1: on. It's coming up on Easter, not Halloween. Yeah, there you
0: go. (laughs) So the missing ingredient, what was the
2: kind of the – emphasis there what or the inspiration there to this book uh,
1: essentially a lot of it had been percolating in the back of my mind for decades um a lot of things that i've i've experienced and or witnessed and or thought about studied things like that and one day i guess it was just about a year ago our lead pastor called me backstage on a sunday and told me he had something for me and i went back there and he handed me a post-it note and told me that God told him to tell me that my next book would be my best book, and I was like, "Huh, wonder what that is." So I started thinking about it and pumping around some ideas in my head, and what became the missing ingredient came from that.
0: Kind of hard to say no when I guess a pastor walks up to you and says, "God told me." Now you drew from some past experience and infused it in into this book, and it was, uh, and a lot of it actually took me by surprise because, like, you know, knowing you now. I would never have assumed or even thought that you had the, uh, the upbringing that you had. Um, Tell us, tell us a little bit about that. Stay with us. We'll be right back. And now let's talk about how you can use cap show to repurpose and market your content. If you have a business like me, you can upload your cornerstone long form content like podcast episodes or YouTube videos into CapShow, and it will create all your content marketing assets for you. And here's the coolest part: CapShow is more than just a robotic AI tool. It's a powerful blend of artificial and human intelligence, designed by marketers to help you organically reach more of the right people on more platforms. Go to beyondtherut.com/capshow. That's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day trial and see for yourself. Now. Back to the show. Uh,
1: Let's see. Where do you want me to start? There's a lot to it. Yeah. (laughs) Be a little more specific. How did
0: you get to Corpus Christi? (laughs) No, 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 no. I was thinking uh, (laughs) just, I guess, you know, growing up, uh, the examples of love that you had seen or or lack thereof. Um, Okay. Yeah.
1: So I was raised by a single mother in the 70s, which is at the time – was not the norm, which sadly it's becoming these days. Um, my real father uh, was very abusive, physically, mentally, emotionally. Um, I have an older brother uh, who endured some abuse at his hands, and the first time he kind of came after me, my mom was like, "All right, we're done. I'm leaving." Packed up the car and we drove away. That was my first early memory. Um, was driving away from my house without my father. Um, my mom was kind of damaged goods, uh, you know, dealt with a lot of, a lot of pain from her childhood and didn't process it properly. Um, kind of became one of those people that's just kind of mad at the world all the time. And, you know, she claims to love my brother and I in her own way, but it was kind of, kind of like, Somebody who just doesn't speak the language trying to talk to you, you know, yeah. and somebody who doesn't understand what it's supposed to look like trying to make it. You know, I, I always used to joke there's an old uh, Star Trek episode for people that watch the original Star Trek series where they – They try and build – these aliens try and reconstruct a human, but they've never seen one before. And the one that they try and reconstruct, they found in the wreckage of a starship that crashed on their planet. So they have no idea how to put this person back together again. They have no plan, no blueprint, no anything. And what they put back together is fairly well hideous, but it's alive and functioning, and you could technically call it a human. (laughs) So that's kind of – the way my my mom expresses love, it's like she doesn't really understand it. She doesn't get it. She doesn't know how to relate it. But in her own strange way, she does love my brother and I. Yeah. So, and you know, I was probably early teen years before I realized that wasn't normal. Um, and everybody I knew didn't grow up that way. Even though I I was very well aware that I wasn't raised by a you know the nuclear mother father family. Um, but I just kind of assumed everybody's family was full of screaming and yelling and stuff getting thrown and, you know, Seems all those kinds of things that go on, you know, when you're a kid and you're in that kind of environment, you just assume that's normal, you know? Yeah. And so as I grew older, I started to realize, Hey, that's not really normal, you know, and started making friends with, with people that didn't have that background and didn't have that kind of home environment and started going, something's not quite kosher here and then years later i connected with my wife and her family is almost the complete opposite they're very loving very affirming um they encourage each other they're they're each other's best fans those kinds of things um you know i was i was married to her for a brief period when i put out my first book and her family just it was just crazy to watch their outpouring of love and support for me for a book that i put out <laughs> versus crickets from my family yeah yeah so
0: I, I can definitely relate to that in a lot of ways. Uh, my parents had actually split up when I was about eleven and um, I, I guess that was the time when everybody in our the Dugan family said this is a great time to get divorced let's do it <laughs> uh, and so uh, all the kids in my generation we' we're, we're dealing with the aftermath of this you yep. know where our parents are trying to find love they're trying to find you know meaning Happiness. again and yeah and then, <laughs> so you got all these cousins just kind of crammed together in grandma's house with no supervision. We went Lord of the Flies on each other every weekend, and yep. uh, of course, you know, being one of the smaller guys, being the Asian in an all-white family, I, I kind of took the brunt of it all. And I only bring that up because I mean, I got called things like "gook" and "half breed" and you know, "boat person." Go back to Thailand. I'm like, <laughs> I was born in Oklahoma, you idiots! <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know how long uh, it takes to get in a boat and come all the way to California from Oklahoma? Uh, but then my cousins' parents would all come home, and you know, since my dad would be the last one to come back, uh, they would all kind of. You know, pick on me as well and it was just kind of like man this sucks and you know graduating college you you know, you'd think people would cheer that on being the first one to graduate college yeah. no they found a lot of reasons to m- call me stupid uh you know like not being able to find the silverware drawer that moved three years ago and it's like i haven't been here in three years guys how am i supposed to know that the silverware drawer is no longer i don't know in the kitchen you got it in the living room like who does that <laughs> or no it was the hallway but anyway it's not <laughs> so important. mike
2: you think that that really shaped who you are as a husband and father and just a man because you didn't have that example. I'm I'm willing to bet
0: what I went through had nothing to do with how he came out, (laughs) but uh, maybe how his, (laughs) I'm just kidding. Sorry.
1: (laughs) Squirrel. (laughs) I don't remember forgetting where the silverware drawer was, but the rest of it I can relate to. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, my biggest passion um, is families. Uh, I heard a a leader, like a leading a leadership coach a few days ago was talking about um, the correlation between you know a, a childhood trauma and your biggest passion, and he said, you know, tell me what your great your earliest most memorable traumatic experience is, and the person that was asking him the question or that he asked the question of ran a business where. His whole job in his business was to draw attention to something and then get people to buy into it and support it. And so come to find out, his earliest childhood trauma was he got neglected all the time. So as a child, he spent most of his time trying to get people to pay attention to him and then see the value in him. Yep. And so here he is. He's an entrepreneur. He's running a multi-million-dollar business. And his main goal of his business is to get people to pay attention and buy in. So I heard that and I was kind of like a light bulb moment and I stopped and thought my earliest traumatic memory was watching my family disintegrate right in front of my very eyes. And here it is fast forward so many years and my biggest passion is to help hold families together and to heal relationships and help husbands and wives realize how important it is for them to stay together, how important it is for the children to see a loving relationship between their parents all those sorts of things. And all that is pretty much what led to writing the missing ingredient, even though I didn't know it at the time.
0: And I love how your book goes about it because, um, I know, in today's society, it's kind of poo pooed on the whole idea of, uh, you marry, you get married and you live happily, not, not even happily ever after, but, uh, after. Just but get married. Just get married and stay <laughs> married the rest of your life. Uh, you know, a lot of people freak out about that. They balk at it, especially when you're talking about generations that have seen their parents divorce, uh, and in some cases multiple times. I know my wife and I, uh, when you combine what we saw our parents go through, I think it was a combined, uh, six, marriages and divorces like my dad's been married and divorced twice uh father-in-law same uh, mother-in-law i think three so yeah seven <clears throat> seven marriages and divorces and uh so growing up with that, I mean, you're leery about going in yourself. Oh, my mom, I forgot. She, yeah. she got divorced the second time too. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's where the seventh one came from or eighth. Anyway, it's pretty but, common yeah. now. People just live together. They don't yeah. get married because they don't want to be a statistic. Yeah, because of that fear of being the mm-hmm. statistic. And, uh, the reality is that, you know, there's, there's more to it. There's more to that missing ingredient that, that love. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's more than just a feeling and it's a commitment and, and, he talks about that. Um, I mean, in his own words. But so, Mike, what would you
2: say to somebody that was just like, "It doesn't really matter if we're married or not. We love each other, and we're raising our kid together."
1: So, first things that I I, I would address is what's your motivation? So, what are you allowing to draw you, to push you forward in life? And if you're telling me that you don't want to be a statistic, then the answer is you're being motivated by fear. So you're afraid that you can't control your circumstances. You can't, you're afraid that you can't make this better. You're afraid that you, that it won't get any better than it is. All those kinds of things. You don't want to lose what you have because you feel like it's really good, but you're shortchanging yourself and you're not allowing yourself to have what really comes through a great marriage, Uh, a great marriage where the two sides are very selfless and servant towards one another. Um, Years ago, my wife and I were part of a church where the pastor challenged all the married couples to spend the next 30 days focusing solely on making your spouse happy and doing whatever it took to make them happy. And at the end of that 30 days, almost every couple in the church was so much closer together because the one person that knows them the best spent 30 days trying to make them as happy as possible. So if you're sitting in a situation where you're you're not wanting to get married or you're afraid to get married and become a statistic and get divorced or you're already married and you're afraid it's going to end in divorce take action I mean you have the power you have the ability to affect change in your own household immediately um, and I detail how to do a lot of that in the book but you're in control. You know, nobody controls your marriage but you and your spouse. Nobody controls your living situation but you and the person you're living with. It's not up to statistics to tell you whether or not your, your marriage is going to be a success or not. It's up to your own behavior and your own choices. So make the right choices and have the good marriage. You know, Obviously, there's always going to be arguments. There's always going to be miscommunications. There's always going to be times where, hey, I love you a lot but I don't like you right now. But you get past those. And – Some of those dips in the roller coaster are what make the highs so high and so good. And if you're unwilling or afraid to step out into that, then you're basically just saying, hey, you know, I'm good living in this contained little box because that's safe. Right. But safe isn't rewarding. Safe doesn't get you, you know, what a great marriage brings.
2: And that's kind of where this podcast came from is we were kind of like, okay, we we have this kind of mentality of I'd rather be safe than than risk greatness so it's better to just stay in this job or in this relationship or in this area and rather than you know risk anything
1: yeah and so essentially people that are sitting there in a relationship afraid to get married are stuck in a rut
2: exactly and that's kind of the the crux of the problem i think in general now is people would rather be safe than be great you know just to have a great marriage and family does take risk you do have to put something out there like you were saying if you're going to serve your spouse for 30 days i would imagine one of the first responses is well he doesn't do anything for me or she she doesn't like this or whatever and it's like so i'm only going to do for her what she does for me and then it's a stalemate
1: yeah but if you both commit to hey i'm going to be the more mature person i'm going to take the first step so that means that i'm going to be the one that hey i know that Every morning you like to have the creamer sitting next to your coffee when you come out of the bedroom. Then that's what I'm going to do. Right. And then your spouse turns and goes, hey, okay, well, I know that you know you always like to make sure that you know, the car door is unlocked when you go in the garage, whatever strange thing it is. And most of it's not stuff that's that big of a deal. It's little things, and all those little things make up bigger moments in the bigger day, and by the end of the day, you're all good to go.
2: Right. And, and that's, that's a great, uh, kind of a point to make is it's those unspoken expectations. You never told me you like the creamer or you want the door opened or, you know, I, I tell a story about when my wife and I got married, she always liked orange juice in the morning and I would bring her orange juice every morning when she's in the shower. And after about a week or two, she goes, I love that you bring this. This is awesome, but can you put a straw in it? Because when I put my lipstick on and stuff, a straw would just make it that much better. I don't like straws, so it never crossed my mind. And I was like, perfect. You know, tell your spouse or whoever you're with what you really want. Don't think they're going to be smart enough to figure it out. We're not that smart.
1: Yeah, and and communication is everything. I mean, you can't just sit back and assume, you know, hey, my spouse knows that I love X, Y, Z, and that's what I want. You know, last time I checked, there's no mind readers on the planet. So. Communication is huge. You have to, you know, speak up and don't be afraid to speak up and don't be offended if, hey, I had to tell you to do. Well, hey, you know, help us out. Yeah, know? exactly. Especially <laughs> as guys because, you know, you know, we're lucky to find our shoes half the time, get out the door, you know, and get on with the day. Exactly. Much less, you know, try and figure out, hey, she wants a straw in her orange juice. Yeah. So So that's, that's really awesome that she, you know, took that initiative to tell you.
2: So Jerry and I were talking about when we first got here is, you know, thank God for women of lower standards that would marry us. But
1: also, <laughs> you know,
2: you married me. So I'm who you got. You're, you're going to have to help me along here and tell me, I never want to go here. I only want to go here. And we early on in our relationship, we were in Las Vegas and they've got that roller coaster at the top of that big building that goes outside the building and stuff. And. I was like, yeah, let's ride that. That'll be fun. And so we're both going there and we're almost there. And I looked at her and I said, I got to be honest. I'm absolutely terrified to do this and don't want to do it at all. And she goes, oh, thank God. I did not want to do it either. I was just doing it because you wanted to do it. (laughs) I'm so glad we were honest. I probably would have died doing that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, the early stuff that you find. You know, is what you build the relationship on, but it's almost like there's some point where we stop looking for that and we stop sharing that. Like, you know, you go out on a first date and you find out really quick whether, you know, the person you're dating likes Italian food or Mexican food or whatever. And over the course of the next few months, you find out whether they like, comedies or they like romance <laughs> films or they like yeah. sci-fi and then you find out they, they, they like all these things. It's like you're in a, You've got your investigative journalist hat on yeah. and you're trying to find out as much as possible because you want to make them happy because you want them to like you. Right. And then once you figured out that they like you, it's like, OK, I'm done. I don't need to do anymore. <laughs> Mission I'm going to go sit on the couch. You bring me bonbons and we're good. <laughs> exactly. And then it's not.
2: And that's where the, you know, every relationship takes work and, and, you know, the things in your book are all about not necessarily the work, but the blueprint to do the work. You know, it's like, these are, these are fairly simple things, but you still have to do them. You can't, like you said, you know, get into the relationship and somehow you've signed a long-term contract. So they're nothing's ever going to go wrong you got to keep dating keep pursuing your spouse and and try to see what you can come up with that that's new because i know you know when you've been married for a year as opposed to say 10 years needs change uh interest change not everybody wants the same things they wanted 10 years ago and you need to learn those in order to keep pursuing her or him and and let them know that you know you're willing to put in that effort absolutely Same thing with kids. I find, too, with kids like what worked when they were little because, you know, when – My my boys are all older. My daughter's 17. But when they were little, I could go to the elementary school and play basketball with them. And I was Michael Jordan because I was the greatest basketball player ever because the goal was six feet tall. But as they got older, they needed different things. They needed to be challenged more and not just allowed to win or, in my case, just losing everything because I would never let them win against me because I knew they (laughs) were all going to get big and beat me. But they need different things. And you become this – you're you're kind of a you know full-time parent and then you become kind of an advisor as my kids have gotten older in their 20s and stuff I'm more of an advisor to them and I can't necessarily make them do things but I can give them advice and then watch them ignore it and suffer the consequences and then come back and go oh, I wish I hadn't done that well we all do stupid things sometimes
0: <laughs> That's funny how sometimes love is letting your children learn on their own
2: right and 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 letting them know they can always come back to you. You're always going to love them no matter what. So they can go mess up and come back and say, yeah, I shouldn't have done it that way, but you're not going to judge me or criticize me. You're just going to love me and say, okay, well, now let's go in this direction.
1: Yeah, one of the quotes I have in the book is from uh, uh, tennis coach Pablo Jacopoli, and he says, fail stands for find answers in life
0: it's interesting that you brought that one up too, fail because, you know, people are so averse to taking risk and making those mistakes. And I think in the context of love, in the context of this book, um, you are taking a risk. You're, you're opening up your heart. You're being vulnerable to your, your spouse. And I just think about, you know, how many marriages fall apart because at some point we stopped taking that risk. We stopped being vulnerable to the one we, we say we love the most, uh, here on earth. Um, I thought I'd have a question with that, but I think it was just more of a comment. (laughs) So I'm just going to stop there. I like (laughs) cheese.
1: Like one of the interesting things I found when I was writing the book and doing a lot of research, and and this kind of dovetails to what you're saying, is as a child, you will fall down approximately 50 times before you learn how to stand and walk on your own. Oh, wow. And never once do you see, you know, here's a 23-year-old man who never learned how to stand and walk, and he's flopping around on the floor because he failed and gave up. As yeah. an adult, most adults will walk away from something after failing two to three times. <laughs> so so where is it that, you know, from the toddler who thinks it's totally okay to keep flopping on the ground and getting right back up again and laughing about it <laughs> to the adult that, oh man, I failed twice. I better not do that again. <laughs> yeah, you know, what, where's the switch flip? What, you know, is it, is it some crazy peer pressure high school trauma or where is it that we suddenly decide that failure is this horrible thing? When really it's the greatest learning experience there is. Yep.
0: If you like everything you heard in this episode, be sure to check out the show notes at beyondtherut.com slash 171. There you'll find links to Mike Bullock's website, how to buy his book, The Missing Ingredient, and see some of our past episodes related to healthy marriage relationships. We're so glad you joined us and we hope we provided some value to you in this discussion. Be sure to come back next week as we continue the conversation with Mike with some practical tips on what is love, baby, don't hurt me. No, I'm kidding. Um, Anyway, about what is love, how society has kind of warped the definition of what love is. And we also give some practical tips on how you can further deepen the relationship you have with your spouse. Also, the best way you can support our show is to share us with a friend, a family member, or that neighbor across the street. I would normally include your coworker, but I mean, if you're not married to your coworker, it gets kind of awkward when you say, Hey, check out this podcast episode about healthy marriages. And then they'll look at you like, Hey, what are you saying, man? You're the one married, not me. And then things just get awkward. So don't let awkward happen. Just share this with a family member, a friend, a neighbor across the street, and uh, somebody else will just pick up that, na- that coworker, right? Well, well, that's, that's a, a big mouthful there. And uh, until we join you again next week, uh, we want you to go out there and live life beyond the rut. Take care. I'll be okay. I, I'm hyper too. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Don't calm down. Uh, keto diet, man. Keto, keto. That's what it is. <laughs> so, um. You know, the best thing I love about cap show is that they have one of the best communities ever as a cap show and myself, I always get invited to masterminds with industry leaders to get the insights and marketing strategies that take my business to the next level. Plus they love surprising and delighting us. Go to beyondtherut.com capshow slash cap show. That's C A P. S-H-O, and start your 14-day free trial with the CapShow team today and join me inside that community.